In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So, God willing, today we're going to conclude the series about the Orthodox afterlife that we've been studying. Um, just to kind of review, um, we initially talked about the whole process of death based on uh, some quotes that we had from the Church Fathers, from Scripture references, and also from uh, examples that we read about from people that actually experienced like death experiences and then came back to life again. And we spoke about the crossover realm, which was the kind of the phase that the people go through after their spirit leaves the body, um, which includes temptation um, by the demons. Um, and then we spoke about uh, paradise and we spoke about Hades um, uh, in, uh, in length. Um, today, in this last topic, uh, and if you remember at the beginning, I, I mentioned that the whole purpose of studying this topic is not so that we can satisfy our curiosity of what, you know, what is there after this life. Because even with all the stories that we have, um, it's going to be very hard for us to visualize and to truly understand what it's like to, to die and what it's like to be in the afterlife. Um, the, the main purpose of this whole series is to be ready, is to be, uh, to be aware and to be thinking about that life um, more than we think about this life and to be always watchful and caring about our salvation and thinking about our spiritual life um, all throughout, not forgetting that this day is going to come for each of us. So today I'm going to speak about second chances, which is all of the stories that we read about from all of the, the examples of people that had these death experiences when they came back to life again, right? And we look at that in their life, what is it that changed now that they had experienced these things and they saw firsthand uh, what is it that awaits them after this life and how people, uh, you know, completely changed. And as I mentioned, the, the guy, Mr. Yu, that we keep talking about um, his story extensively, he ended up becoming a monk. Um, because after experiencing all of that, he couldn't deny the reality of that life, to deny the reality of the spiritual. We tend to focus so much on the physical with our senses, um, and yet maybe forget that the spiritual is, is also real and present, and, and that we don't think about it as much um, makes us maybe make poor choices sometimes. But if we were to be thinking and considering the spiritual all the time, then maybe our choices would be very different. The way that we speak to one another, the way that we think, the things we let our, uh, allow our eyes to look upon, um, you know, our hope even. You know, sometimes people go through their life that is filled with all kinds of suffering and pain. They go through it with hopelessness and desperation because all they think about is their current situation. Whereas if we were to keep our eyes fixated on heaven, then even though we still might be going through painful things in this world, but uh, we have hope because we are looking at the life that is after this life. In Isaiah 44, verse 22, it says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Right? This is the calling that Christ is calling us for. He says, return to me, for I have redeemed you. Why is it that, that God shared with all of these people that had these experiences? Again, it wasn't to satisfy their curiosity. It was so that they would return. It was so that they would repent. It's so that they would preach this message. It's so that all of us could hear it, understand it, and know it, so that we can live our lives differently as a result. Okay? After death, there is no second chance. And this is one thing that's very clear, um, whether it be in Scripture, whether through the examples that we've seen, through the writings of the Church Fathers, 
There is no other chance after this life. This is the life that we have an opportunity for repentance. Repentance is no longer an option for us afterward. Um, Saint Philopatir Mercurios, who was Abu Sufyan, he said to this man who, who was a husband who was living a life of sin, he said to him, your deeds will not lead to your salvation. You have to think of your eternal life. Repent before the time comes when your sorrow will not make a difference. Sorrow meaning the sorrow of repentance. You have the opportunity now, as long as you live. The door of mercy will be closed after you die. You do not know the hour of your death. The life of every person will end. The flesh will turn to dust, but the spirit is eternal and will go either to paradise, if the person carried out good works, or to Hades and suffer torture that is unbearable. He, he lays it out there very clearly. He says, this life is the only option. This life is the only opportunity that you have. And after, that, after this, after death, you no longer have the option of repentance, where even the sorrow of your repentance will not have any effect on you. They will no longer be accepted by God. Um, also, many of the church fathers, they speak about the idea of remembrance of death. Um, uh, 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 one of the, 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 the ancient fathers, his name is Evagrius, he says what? Collect your thoughts. Remember the day of your death. See then what the death of your body will be. Let your spirit be heavy. Take pains. Condemn the vanity of the world. Remember also what happens in hell and think about the state of the souls down there. Their painful silence, their most bitter groanings, their fear, their strife, their waiting. Think of their grief without end and the tears of their souls shed eternally. But keep the day of resurrection and of presentation to God in remembrance also. Consider also the good things in store for the righteous. Confidence in the face of God the Father and his Son, the angels and archangels and all the people of the saints, the kingdom of heaven and the gifts of that realm. Joy and beatitude. Keep in mind the remembrance of these two realities. And this is really why we are presented with both. It's wrong to focus only on the one. We are asked to focus on both. These are the options before us, and and how is it that we, you know, how is it that it is determined that we go to one and another? Of course, God is the judge, but what does He judge? He doesn't judge capriciously. He doesn't judge randomly or erratically. He judges based on us, right? And He tells us ahead of time His judgment. He tells us ahead of time on what basis He will judge. So here we're saying, keep these two realities in your mind. Keep in your mind what is waiting in Hades. And keep in mind what is waiting in paradise. And with these two options in mind, we can choose rightly. We can make a good choice because we see them both before us. Also in Sirach chapter 7, it says, In all your works, remember your very end, and so you will not sin unto eternity. That every time even that we have the opportunity to sin or the temptation to sin, instead of believing that the moment that I'm living in is really the only moment, is really that maybe my actions don't have any long-term effect or ramification. Remember these two realities in that moment. Remember that the decisions that I make now, whether it be this immediate choice that I'm about to make or the subsequent choices that I make, have, have make a difference in my eternity, make a difference in my eternal life. Also, sometimes people have the mentality that one sin is harmless because I'm just going to commit one sin. Um, and then I'm going to ask God for forgiveness, and he is going to forgive me my sin. But the sins that we commit form like a pattern of sin, form a passion. They become an addiction. And it's easy for individual sins to become a pattern, to become an addiction, to become something that is beyond my control. 
that maybe in one specific case I can say, oh, you know what, I'm choosing to sin because um, it gets me what I want in the moment, and I know that God is faithful and merciful and he will forgive me. But I might be, in that process of sin, developing a habit of sin, developing an addiction of sin, developing a destructive habit that I will not be able to break, that then will become kind of like my master, and I will be in bondage to that sin. So each time that we consider sin, we should take it very seriously. Um, for many, the Orthodox Christian mindset of constantly remembering the imminence of death is quite off-putting. Yet Metropolitan Callistos writes, this was once normal, also in Roman Catholic and Anglican spirituality, but has now grown unfashionable in the West. There's a reason that we don't want to remember death. Uh, it seems to us stifling, um, you know, when you're, when you're getting ready to do something fun or something joyful, the idea of remembering death seems kind of depressing and sad. Why would we want to remember such a thing? Isn't it actually against joy? I isn't it actually against peace? The reason that death holds this for us and the reason we are afraid of it is maybe because we feel like we're not ready yet. Or maybe that I doubt what is it that will await me after this moment. But actually throughout... Christian history, the idea of the remembrance of death was not seen as something morbid, but it was seen as something helpful. It was seen as a motivator, something to remind me of why I live the way that I live. Why is it that I deny myself? Why is it that I am restricting myself from doing what maybe the rest of the world is doing? Why do I live in ascetic way? Why do I fast? Why do I pray? Why do I push my flesh to do what is unnatural, what is uncomfortable? Why do I do it? Because of I remember the day of my death. I remember that on that day, that is when the true life begins. And everything that I do now is simply a preparation for that day. And instead of living for just the moment, living for this life and imagining that all of my goals and all of my dreams are about this world and all the decisions I make are just about this world, I'm thinking about the next world and how is it that I can prepare for that. So instead of viewing the remembrance of death as a morbid sentiment, it should be seen as an authentic expression of Christian realism. And this is a big point, this idea of realism. Christians are the most realists of everyone because we care about the truth and we want to live according to the truth. Whatever the truth is, there's no benefit in denying it. Whatever the truth is, there's no benefit in denying it. There's, no, there's nothing that comes from delusion, right? Whereas in the world, people try to um, dull the pain by inebriating themselves with something to forget the world, to escape the world, to escape the reality of the world. As Christians, we're not trying to escape the reality. We are fully accepting the reality. What is the reality? The reality is that God exists and he created us. He asked us to live a certain way. He has redeemed us and that if we follow him, we will have eternal salvation. That is the reality. The reality is also that if we choose a different path, there is a different consequence. There's a different outcome. And, and we can't ever forget that this is realistic. This is the truth. We live according to this realism and not according to escapism, where we are trying to escape the reality as often the world does. Metropolitan Callistos, he said, death should be a constant dimension and quality of our life, not just something that befalls us at the last moment, because actually this is, you know, if, 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 if any of you have ever been in a situation where you thought that you were going to die, I don't know if anyone has been in that situation. If you've been in a situation where you thought that you're going to die, suddenly 
you're much more sober. Suddenly everything comes into focus. Suddenly all the things that maybe we cared about so much in the world are not really important. And all the things that are actually important that we didn't care about enough in the world, we start to regret that we didn't spend more time with those things. And we start thinking about what happens next. You know, now when we wake up in the morning, what happens next? I go about my day, I go to work, what am I going to eat? Uh, what's going to happen in the evening? What plans do I have? Those are the things we think about. But at the moment of death, that question of what happens next, it's a completely different question. What happens next, right? So in that moment, the, the whole concept of existence changes in our mind. What we believe it to me that we exist, that we have life, what is life? Life is completely different in that moment than anything we've ever experienced before. Much like a child in the womb who was about to be born, everything that they knew about their life prior to birth is completely different from what is about to happen to them. And they don't know when it's going to happen. They don't know that it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But suddenly they find themselves in a different world, in a different reality. And everything that they knew before is kind of irrelevant. And what they now are starting to grow in and to learn about is completely new. And this is what Christ is trying to communicate to us. Don't be so enamored with the world. Don't be so enamored with this life that in, in, in some amount of time is going to disappear and fade away and perish. Focus on the next life. When death is deliberately kept out of sight, life becomes mean and mediocre. Meaning if we try to live our life without the concept of death, then life loses meaning in the sense that even those who seek pleasure, how much pleasure can you seek? What happens when you have all the pleasure? Like King Solomon when he writes about this in Ecclesiastes. What happens when you have experienced every pleasure? What happens when you have experienced everything that your flesh desires? Do you find purpose in this? Is this our purpose as human beings just to experience endless pleasure and that's it? But I, the, the thing with heaven Heaven is not just a place where we experience pleasure, like godly pleasure. It's not just a place where all of our needs are met. It's a place where we find purpose, eternal purpose, that we feel like we are made for something, that we are doing something that we wish to continue to do endlessly. It is a place where we find meaning. It is not like the world. You could give us every single good thing or every single pleasurable thing in the world and we would still feel empty. But in heaven, it is not just that we are given everything that is our heart's desire. It's that we are made to be in the body of Christ, having purpose and function and meaning in the presence of God. So it is, it is not just a selfish, self-focused, um, I feel good in heaven. No, it's more than I feel good. It's I'm a part of something eternal. I'm a part of something good. And, 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 and nothing can take me away from the presence of God that brings me eternal satisfaction and fulfillment without wavering and that we continue to grow in this. By trivializing death, we trivialize life as well. Remembering death in this way is not negative, but affirmative. It does not make our earthly existence drab and colorless, but has precisely the opposite effect. Because we keep death in mind, our daily words and actions acquire an eternal dimension that otherwise they would lack. Meaning everything that I do, I do it for an eternal purpose. Everything I do is for a purpose beyond just this day or this time or this year. It is, has an eternal purpose. That's what gives it value. What gives it value is not just that it makes me feel good. What gives it value is that it is eternal, that it lasts forever, 
that 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 my actions God is seeing and will reward me for with an eternal reward, not just with a temporary reward. Our friend Mr. Yu, uh, at the last part of his story, it's mentioned about him. Um, when he was last mentioned, we were watching as he was being taken up towards a kingdom full of power and light. He thought he would continue proceeding upwards and eventually enter into that kingdom of light, which one can deduce is par paradise. But something different happened. Remember, he was in the point where he had gone through this crossover realm after he died, and he had this experience with the demons coming to attack him. He called on the name of the Virgin Mary, and she helped him to escape from, from the, the attacks of these demons, and he continued to travel up and up. So he, in his mind, of course, he had died. And so he believed that he was going to remain in this state. He was going to paradise. But this is what it said, or what he, he recounted. He said, Majestically without wrath, but authoritatively and firmly, the words resound from above, not ready. And after that, thereafter, an immediate stop came to our rapid flight upward. We quickly began to descend. But before we left this realm, I was endowed with the capacity to learn of one of the most wonderful phenomena. Hardly had the said words resounded from above when everything in that world, it seems, each particle of dust, each slightest atom, responded to these words with their accord, as though a multi-million echo repeated them in a tongue unable to be perceived by hearing, but perceived and understood by the heart and mind, expressing its union with the decision so decreed. And in this unity of will, there was such wonderful harmony and in this harmony so much inexpressible, exalted happiness, before which all of our earthly charms and raptures appeared like a gloomy day without sunlight. This multi-million echo resounded in the form of an inimitable musical chord, and one's whole soul extended out towards it, wholly responding to it in a state devoid of any cares, and in an ardent transportation of zeal, to be at one with this omnipresent, most wonderful harmony. He's speaking about like just these words that 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 like that he heard saying "not ready" suddenly put everything into motion in this harmonious way for him actually to return back to his body. I did not understand the real sense of the words that were directed to me. That is to say, I did not understand that I had to return to earth and again live live just as previously. I thought that I was being carried to some other different parts and a feeling of timid protest stirred within when, when before me, at first, as hazily as in a morning mist, the outlines of a city were denoted before me. And following this, streets, well known to me, also became clearly visible. Here I saw the building of the hospital, which was known to me, exactly in the same manner as before, through the walls of the building and closed doors, I was carried into a room completely unknown to me. In this room, there stood a row of tables, which were coated with dark paint, and on one of them, covered over with something white, I saw myself lying, or more correctly, my dead, stiff body. Not far from my table, some gray-haired small old man in a brown jacket moving a bent wax candle along the lines of large type read the Psalter. On the other side, on a black bench that stood against the wall, sat my sister, who evidently had been notified of my death and already had arrived, and beside her bent over and quietly saying something, her husband. Have you heard the decision of God? leading me up to the table, my guardian angel, who hitherto had not spoken, addressed me, and after that, pointing with his hand to my dead body, said, Enter and prepare yourself. And following this, both angels became invisible.
I recall with complete clarity how and what happened to me after these words. At first I felt as though something pressed close about me. After this followed the sensation of unpleasant cold and the return of this capacity which was absent in me just before. So he, his spirit entered his body and immediately he began to think, feel the things that are common to the body that he had, was no longer feeling. A feeling such things vividly brought back to life the conception of my previous life. A feeling of deep mourning came over me, as though I had lost something. I shall further note here that this feeling has always remained with me after the above described occurrence. The desire to return to my previous form of life, although up until now there was nothing especially sorrowful in it, did not once stir in me. In no way I was drawn to it. Nothing in it attracted me. Reader, have you ever had the occasion to see a photograph that had been lying for a considerable amount of time in a damp place? The image on it was preserved but faded from dampness, moldy, and in place of a definite beautiful image, one has a kind of continuous light, gray murkiness. In like manner, life here has become faded for me, appearing like a kind of monotonous and watery picture. So his life, even though he is now back alive again, he sees everything as drab, as monotonous, as gray, as unfulfilling in this life, having experienced the next life, and appears so to my eyes even up to the present time. How and why I suddenly felt this, I do not know. But one thing is certain. It in no way had any attraction for me. The horror that I experienced earlier concerning my separation from the surrounding world, now, due to some reason, lost its strange significance for me. For example, I saw my sister, and understood that I could not associate with her, but this in no way disturbed me. I was content with just seeing her. Unlike previously, I even did not have the desire to somehow announce my presence, and besides this was not my main concern. The feeling of being compressed from all sides caused me ever-increasing suffering. It seemed to me that I was being squeezed between pliers, and this sensation increased with time. On my part, I did not remain passive. Whether I did something, whether I struggled trying to free myself of it, or whether I made no exertion to free myself, to cope with and overcome it, I am not able to ascertain. I only remember that I felt a sensation of ever-increasing tightness about me, and finally I lost consciousness. When I recovered consciousness, I found myself lying on a bed in a hospital ward. And so he came back to life again, and he was able to recount for us his amazing story all around. The church fathers um, always implore us and speak about this idea of being ready for this moment. St. John Chrysostom, he says, Do not neglect the time of your earthly life, which is given to us by God's kindness as the opportunity of our salvation. So in this sense, what is the purpose of this life? The purpose of this life is not to enjoy. right? The purpose of this life is not to find fulfillment. The purpose of this life is to prepare for the next that's the whole purpose of this life. When we become so fixated on our earthly goals, and these become the things that drive us and motivate us, then no matter how successful we are in this life, we will ultimately be at a loss because everything that we have will be taken. Every person that we know will be taken. Our own bodies will be taken. So if we live our life for these things, that we will inevit inevitably be failures. We will be failures. If you measure our life according to what we have accumulated, then when we lose everything, we will be by definition failures. So knowing this, knowing this as intelligent, wise people, 
and believers believing that there is a life after this one. It is so vain for us and futile for us to live our lives this way. It is so futile for us to invest all of our time and our energy into our money, into our work, into ourselves, into all these things, to neglect this, this opportunity that God has given, which is the only opportunity in all of eternity that God has given for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is the only time in all of eternity. If you pause and think about what that means, eternity, you have this sliver of around 60 to 100 years that this is the only time that you have to work out your salvation. This is the only time that you have to prepare for that eternity. So if we take those 60 to 100 years and instead of using them to prepare, we waste them on our own desires. We waste them on our own pursuits, on our own goals. What does that say about us? Especially as we claim to be believers. Especially as we claim that we believe in heaven and hell. And that we believe in the afterlife. And we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And that he is going to bring us up to him. So if we truly believe those things, then we have to live accordingly. St. John Chrysostom, he also says, While we are here, we have good hopes. However, when we depart to that place, we have no longer the option of repentance, nor of washing away our misdeeds. For this reason, we must continually make ourselves ready for our departure from here. What if the Lord wishes to call us this evening or tomorrow? The future is unknown to keep us always active in the struggle and prepared for that removal. So it's not even 60 to 100 years. It could be tomorrow. It could be now. We don't know when it is. And because we don't know when it is, we can't plan for it. We can't say, okay, well, at this specific date is what's going to happen so I can kind of know what I have to do to prepare myself for that date. No, I don't have a date. And, and St. John Chrysostom says, why? To keep us always active in the struggle and prepared for the removal. Meaning if God were to give us a day as kind of the weak human beings that we are, trying to find loopholes and exceptions and, and the easy path, as we always do, then instead of saying, well, you know, we will live in a godly way from now until that time, we will say, you know what, I will live for myself. And then right before that time, that's when I will get ready. Right before that time. You know, sometimes people ask, why is it that we can't just live for ourselves and live for our flesh and live according to our desires? Especially young people might ask this. And then later on, you know, when I'm kind of older, then I will turn to God. Then it is I will repent. Of course, we know the answer about you don't know when your life will end, but that's not the whole answer. Is everything that we're doing here for ourselves, is everything that I'm doing all about I want to go to heaven, and so I calculate what is the most efficient and best way for me to get to heaven, right? We are talking about our relationship with God, Imagine you have a relationship with a person that you love, okay? And you tell that person, I'm going to neglect you, abandon you, mistreat you, and abuse you, okay? Up until a certain time, and then after that time, when it's beneficial for me, I will decide to treat you well. I will decide to pay you attention. I will decide to listen to you. Does that sound like a healthy relationship, you know? We, we look at salvation in such a selfish way that it's all about, I want to go to heaven. What is, do I, what, what, what is the most I can get away with and still go to heaven? 
But if you think about it as this is a relationship with God who loves us, why, why has it even come to my mind that this is an option? If it is a relationship with God, then why am I choosing to abuse him? Why am I choosing to abuse his mercy? Why am I choosing to neglect him while at the same time feeling I'm safe because you know what, I can always repent and God is going to forgive me, right? It's a, it's a backwards and wrong way of, of looking at salvation. Salvation is not about me. Salvation is about a relationship and a union with God. And that union starts on the earth and is perfected in heaven. So we don't abuse this time and say, you know what, I'll still get into heaven. I'll still find a way to get to heaven. Even, even so, no, we should really look at what is my motivation? Why is it that I am doing what I'm doing and living as I choose to live? St. Cyprian, he says, Here life is either lost or kept. Here by the worship of God and by the fruit of faith, provision is made for eternal life. Let no one be kept back either by his sins or by his years from coming to obtain salvation. Even those who have lived a life of sin, even those who, who have sinned their whole life, God still allows them to return. God still provides for them the means of repentance and return so that no one can say, it's too late for me. No one can say, it's too late for me. God provides an opportunity and a path for return for everyone. Also in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time, meaning turn the time, take the time and turn it in and exchange it for salvation. Why? Because the way we use our time is for our salvation. Because we live wisely, right? See then that you walk circumspectly with wisdom, with discernment, with attentiveness, with alertness, so that you can take this short period of time that we have and trade it in for the salvation of our souls. St. John Chrysostom also speaks about self-examination. He says, So in order not to be chastised hereafter, in order not to undergo punishment hereafter, let each of us enter into his own conscience, unfold the story of his life, examine all his transgressions accurately, condemn his soul which has committed such acts, correct his intentions, and afflict and straighten his thoughts. Let him seek a penalty for his sins by self-condemnation, by complete repentance, by tears, by confession, by fasting and almsgiving, by self-control and charity, so that in every way when we become able to put aside all our sins in this life and depart to the next life with full confidence. How is it that we have full confidence? We have full confidence by examining ourselves, and not running away from what we find. Sometimes we don't want to examine ourselves because we're afraid to find stuff that's dark and evil, but actually that's what we should find. If I do not find in myself the things that are dark and wicked and evil, then I haven't looked closely enough because they are in all of us. And if I don't find those things, then I'm just fooling myself because I don't want to accept or admit the truth that we are full of wickedness. This is what the Lord himself has said. This is why salvation is necessary. You know, he wouldn't, God wouldn't have offered this salvation and make this whole story of salvation and incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection, all this stuff, if we were all just good people. So, so it's completely false for me to look at myself and find nothing, nothing that is worthy of condemnation. No, actually, St. John Chrysostom is here. He's telling us that even by what? 
Self-condemnation, repentance, tears, confession, fasting, almsgiving, and all these things, why? Because we look inside ourselves and we don't like what we find. And we find that what is in us is contrary to God's command. What is in us is against God. And this is why we choose to live a life of repentance, right? We choose to live this life because of what we find and we are motivated to, to, to choose this life because we know that we are the ones that need to change and that God is offering and opening this door of salvation to us. Also, St. John Chrysostom, he says, sweet is the present life and full of great pleasure. Not for all, however, but only for those who feel an attachment for it. If a man has his eyes fixed on heaven and keeps looking at the beauties to be discovered there, he will quickly come to despise this life and consider it of no account, just as the beauty of an object is admired while none more beautiful is seen. But when a better appears, the former is despised. If then we should choose to look to that beauty and observe the splendor of the kingdom there, we should soon free ourselves from our present chains, for a kind of chain it is, the sympathy with present things, Hear what Christ said. So, it's, he's saying what? If you put heaven next to earth, and you could see them both clearly in front of you, that any sane person would choose heaven. Anyone. Anyone would choose heaven. Even an atheist would choose heaven. If they could see it, right? If they could see it. Just like when you take a, a, like an electronic product, a computer, let's say, from the 1980s, and you put it next to a computer from 2021, right? And you say, which one is better? Which one would you rather have? No one would ever choose this old 40-year-old computer, right? Because it's objectively better, and everyone would want the better, even if I didn't even believe that there was such a thing. When I see it with my eyes, then I can't deny the reality, right? The problem is, well, it's not a problem, but the way that life works is that God does not put heaven before our eyes as easily as the earth, which is why he says what you have to believe by faith. This is where faith comes in. You have to believe because God, whom we trust, told us so. That even though none of us have seen the kingdom of heaven, none of us has seen paradise, we'll believe it is the case because God told us so, because the scripture told us so, because the church fathers told us so, because the experience of these people told us so. We believe, right, that even the Holy Spirit in us convicts us of the existence of paradise. So we believe even though we haven't seen and so even though we haven't seen, we choose to live life for something that we have yet to see. That we are still gazing up at something completely, you know, not completely understood. But we believe that it's there and we live our life for it because this is where we want to go. He continues. He says, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant shall be. The words seem like a riddle, yet they are not so, but are full of much wisdom. But how shall he that loves his life lose it when he carries out its pro improper desires, when he gratifies it where he should not? Therefore, one exhorts us, saying, Do not walk in the desires of your soul. You will destroy your soul, since it leads away from the path leading to virtue. On the contrary, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. But what does this mean, he who hates his life? He does not yield to it when it commands you to do what is evil. Yet he did not merely say, he that does not yield to it, but he who hates it. For as we cannot endure even to hear the voice of those who we hate, nor to look upon them with pleasure, 
So we must forcefully turn away from the soul when it commands us to do the things contrary to what is pleasing God. So he's saying what? Don't be attached to this world. Do not love this world. If you want to live for the next world, you can't have it both. You can't have the next world in one pocket and this world in the other pocket and take them both with you because they are against one another. They are in enmity with one another. You cannot love this world and love the next world. So this is why there is a choice and the choice is not an easy choice. It is not an easy choice because you have to give up the things that you see that you are offered now for the sake of the things that you do not see that are offered later. Right? Like this is the ultimate test of wisdom. Are you going to indulge in the things that are visible, that are offered to you now, today? Or are you going to deny yourself those things in the hope of something far better that is offered to you tomorrow? Right? This is the choice that we are to make. Um, this is the last quote I want to read from His Holiness Pope Shenouda. It says, If you cannot talk to the Lord for just half an hour a day here on earth, how will you be able to talk to him when you go to eternity? Where will you go? If you had no relationship with the angels and the saints here on earth, how will you live with them when you meet them in the heaven? If you love material possessions, crave the fulfillment of physical desires, and lust after worldly desires, what will you do when you go to heaven and the material and the physical desires are non-existent? What will you say then? Will you apologize and say, I'm sorry, the heavens will not do for me, send me back to earth? That would be futile and useless, my beloved. You should start establishing a relationship with eternity right away. You ought to familiarize yourself with the surroundings of eternity in this world. You should lead that spiritual life that, will eternally, that, that you will eternally experience in the world to come. You should live with the Lord, his angels, and his saints while you are here on earth, for you will live with them there forever. What will that man who lives for the satisfaction of worldly desires do when the world and all its desires pass away? What can he possibly do? Form a relationship with the Lord because a relationship with him starts here, but it will never end. Your relationship with the world will come to an end one day. It will end no matter how long you live. However, your relationship with the Lord, the angels, and the saints will not end. Neither will your relationship with righteousness, virtue, and goodness. Never think that your life on this planet will last. Never. Life on earth will come to an end. Only the good and righteous deeds that were done in this life remain. God will scrutinize all your life and consider what goodness and love was manifested. These are the things that will last. This is the end of this series about this really wonderful book, The Orthodox Afterlife, and it's really an eye-opening uh, reminder for all of us that even though it doesn't necessarily say anything that we didn't already believe, um, but it's a reminder. It tells us every time we think about it that this is reality, that this is, the, 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 this is realism, this is what we really believe, this is the truth. And so we are called to live our life according to this truth, not just to be able to answer questions about it, not just to be able to teach our kids about it, not just to kind of, you know, know that this is what the Orthodox believe, but this is a calling for us to live and to give up whatever it is that we need to give up in order to accept, to adopt, to receive the blessings that God has prepared for each of us. So as a quick overview, we talked about death, the process of death. We spoke about the crossover, the demonic attacks that happened there. We spoke about Hades and paradise, and we spoke about living in repentance. And one of the very last verses in the, in the scripture in Revelation 22, verse 20, um, it says, 
Uh, this is uh, the Lord speaking. Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Um, so we are waiting for this moment. We are, we are saying, what? Amen, so come Lord Jesus. We are waiting for the coming of Christ. And so if we are waiting, we don't want to wait afraid. We don't want to wait in fear and trembling. We don't want to wait kind of like afraid when he is going to come. No, actually we want him to come. We are looking for him to come. And the way that I look to him to come without being afraid is because I live the life and I struggle and strive to live the life that he has called us to live. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to study this book and to speak, O Lord, and meditate upon the eternal life that you have prepared for us. We ask, O God, that you help us to redeem the time and to make use, O Lord, of the short years that we have here in this life, to turn them and to redeem them, O Lord, for your salvation. We thank you, O God, for your presence in our lives, and we thank you, O God, because you are merciful and kind to us. Help us to search our hearts, O God, and find whatever darkness and wickedness that are therein, and to be willing, O God, to fight and to struggle and strive to remove, O Lord, these things through the grace and power of your Holy Spirit working in us. We thank you, O Lord, because you forgive us, O Lord, our sins whenever we call out to you with repentance. We thank you, O God, because you have redeemed us to yourself and that you are kind and merciful all the, with all the time for us. Please help us to use, O Lord, the gifts that you have given us and help us to make use, O Lord, of the church, which is the ark of salvation that you have planted on the earth to be a remembrance and a reminder and a place, O Lord, that we can come and experience heaven on earth. We ask you, O God, in all things to protect us, O Lord, from the evil that is around us and to not allow us, O Lord, to be going astray in the flood of dissipation of all of the evil and wicked things of, of that is happening around us in the world. Prepare us, O Lord, for heaven and help us to live, O Lord, according to your commandments through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one in christ jesus our lord for thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever amen the love of god the father the grace of the only begotten son our lord god and savior jesus christ and the communion and the gift of the holy spirit be with you all go in peace the peace of the lord be with you all amen